0: Hey everybody. Welcome to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. My name is Darren Calhoun, pronouns he, him, and we are here to talk about church. Why don't you introduce yourself, everybody?
1: Hey, everybody. My name is Sarah. This is Stacy,
2: and this is Kevin
0: and today we are back with our series about church trauma. We are looking at the ways that uh, church has been harmful for different folks and we've um, in the past we've shared some of our experiences um, but today we're looking at um, where we go from here. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about not only wh- how we get better individually, but also how we get better as a community. I know for me, when I think about this topic, um, it's one that comes up a lot. Uh, I'm, a, I'm somebody who's outspoken as an advocate and who does a lot to help churches change the way they specifically engage uh, people of color, black and indigenous folks, especially, as well as LGBTQ plus folks and so often i hear people say well all you're doing is complaining what are you going to do about it and the reality is i'm doing a lot about it um so everything from what it looks like to be in therapy to what it looks like to work with church leaders privately as well as publicly there's a lot that a lot of work to be done so today let's uh let's talk about that stuff how's everybody doing how's how's it been first How's it been to talk about this stuff? I think that's one of the things that often gets gets missed and underestimated when it comes to talking about trauma. How does it reflect back? How did it feel to talk about this stuff so far? I
1: think for me um it's been it's been pretty healing. I think this is like one of the first times that I've actually like publicly sp- spoken about a lot of my, you know, experiences and things that, um, and just, you know, trauma in general. And so when I'm listening back, you know, to the podcast and like just hearing myself talk, it's more like a reflection of like how far I've come and just acknowledging my mindset and where I was prior and how I am now. So I, I would say, um, you, you know, it requires self care in terms of just you know when you're bringing up some stuff and talking about trauma, but also yeah. it's been pretty healing.
0: That's what's up.
3: I think for me too, it's made me just again, like Sarah said, you know, think about these things, but also get to a point where maybe I'm starting to move past those things and be like, okay kind of hashed it out a little bit more and I'm ready to move forward now there are some things I realized going listening back onto the podcast that we've already dropped and and I'm like mm, I should probably talk to somebody about that Yeah. <laughs> so there's a couple you know a couple little things that you know I need to uh think about and uh but it's been good. I, I enjoy our conversations that we've had so far about it.
2: Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with with both of you. Um, it's also nice. It's healing to know that I'm really not the only one. I'm not crazy. I'm not just making these things up in, in my head. Um, this is unfortunately a shared experience. And we can all move past it. We yeah. can all still heal we can all uh work together to get to the other side of whatever this this looks like
0: yeah um for me it's been there's been a both and right like there's a part where just as you said kevin how we how we understand where we've been and 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 like Kind of assessing the fact that we're not alone and so forth, um, I've really appreciated that. But there's also the part, um, and I came to realize this really in 2020 when I talk about this stuff and I and I, I talk about my experience of being somebody who um, who's a survivor of conversion therapy um, or efforts to to change one's sexual orientation to heterosexual. Um, I'm used to talking about it, right? Like I've been in magazines and I've, and I've done interviews for years and I've spoken to churches and church leaders and privately, publicly, all of that, lots of YouTube videos, but I didn't realize that, um, there is a toll that's taken. Um, this year I was, uh, I was speaking virtually, you know, online, uh, for a conference and, uh, it was a, it was a, It was a group of parents that I was speaking to and I was on a panel um, and the parents were all like super supportive. They were very like, oh, we really want to understand what your experience was so we can make sure that that doesn't happen to anyone else. Um, So the, the environment was very positive and affirming. But the challenge was. Um, And maybe maybe others have experienced this when that Zoom call ended, you know, like the screen goes black and everything goes away. And all of a sudden you're sitting there left with all of these emotions that you've just Mm -hmm. dredged up and you're thinking about stuff that you haven't thought about and making connections to stuff that you're like, oh, there's some unprocessed thing right there. Mm -hmm. And instead of you being around a bunch of people who are like if you if you're at a conference, you walk off the stage and there's still 100 people in the room. And there's still like whoever you're there with or, you know, folks around you. Mm -hmm. But in the midst of a global pandemonium, (laughs) you're all by yourself (laughs) Mm
4: -hmm. and it's just you.
0: And all of a sudden you're alone with your thoughts. And all of a sudden I was just like, oh, this is not going to work. And for the first time, I realized that when I do talk about trauma, I actually have to have some follow up steps um, for after Mm -hmm. I, you know, dig into certain topics. So I know if I'm specifically set up to talk about (laughs) about conversion therapy that I need to set up a call with a friend or group of friends that we're just going to have fun or we're going to do something that I enjoy Mm -hmm. um, or at least somebody I can like have some processing time with. Um, I'm an, I'm an extroverted ambivert. So I do have some introvert tendencies, but more than anything, I need other people to get recharged. Um, And so that was a big discovery for me um, realizing that so much of what I do kind of had these natural aftercare moments built into it but the reality is like I need to be super intentional so like even after we do our calls I like have people that I'm planning on talking to after this
2: Hmm. yeah for me I kind of came to that that specific realization um I, I think earlier this week, I was editing one of the other podcasts. And I told you guys, I said, I'm I'm shaking from the anxiety of just listening back to these things. And it was exactly because I didn't even recognize it. I recognized why it had happened on a, a surface level, on a physical level. But it wasn't until afterwards, uh, a day or two afterwards that I was really thinking about what caused this, that I started to realize, oh, it's because there's still some, like you said, some uh, things that I need to work through. And uh, yes, I'm sitting here, you know, I'm I'm sitting next to my wife editing everything. So I'm not fully alone, but there's still these things that I have to process through. And, you know, just working through that. And I've not had to do that before. Mm -hmm. I've not had to... Really process everything in the moment before. It's always been a matter of of you know whatever the traumatic event is that happens. I I go and I move on, um, and I'm able to to bury myself into work. I'm able to bury myself uh, into just spending time with my family or just completely forget about it. You know, I when when I was at my last church, I when we left that church we spent two and a half maybe three weeks just on the road moving from california to kansas mm-hmm. where i didn't have to think about church at all i didn't have to process any of those feelings at all except when when i was in the right frame of mind like i could yeah. forget about everything and while i was driving you know these long stretches of road my wife was asleep and the kids were asleep then i could get into processing all of it
0: what what when you started to process it what was that what did that look like or what did you um what did you do to start processing that when you realized it
2: mostly just talking to myself uh that's really when i started uh writing a whole lot that's when i started i i think in a process of maybe two or three months i came out with or i wrote something like 50 different sermons um okay
0: just sermons for yourself
2: yeah, just sermons for myself where I I talked about specifically what had happened, why it was wrong, biblically, why it was wrong, what our Christian response should be, what uh, why it broke God's heart and just really, really breaking all that out. And so that's come out in the form of logs recently where I'm talking about that stuff. Um, and a lot of that has come out even in our conversations mm-hmm. but but that's how i started processing it was just me by myself writing all of it out getting all, getting it all out on paper
0: what about everybody else what what ways do you do you deal with your stuff
1: i'm very similar I, i'm very um similar to you kevin i am a writer um, i part of my trauma has also been Um, being dismissed by those around me and some close to me, um, even unintentionally. And um, so for me to like speak to someone, like when Darren, you mentioned that, you know, you have people that you call, Mm -hmm. I've not yet, there's still like a trust aspect um, that I have. So I've not yet been able to like, you know, find someone that I can talk to about some of my stuff. So I, I, I have a therapist. So that is the only person I probably talk to and I'm still in therapy yeah. um consistently. And that's really just like my lifeline um, in a lot of ways. But also I'm um, I'm a writer. I have gotten to the point where I can, you know, through the work that I'm doing with my therapist, be able to just internally work through some stuff. And, um, you know, I've written a lot, I write a lot of, I do a lot of journaling, but I write a lot of poetry. And there's one time, one day where I really just want to like, maybe publish it, make Mm -hmm. it more public, because I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've written through my pain and through processing, a lot of um, the trauma uh, could, you know, potentially help people. Um, And so that's, you know, a further down goal of mine, but I am, I'm very, very internal. I, I'm an internalized, like just introvert, very, I have to kind of work through stuff on my own, mm. um, in my own ways. And I found quite a few just ways to cope and take care of myself I'm an Enneagram 9, so if anybody's Enneagram 9, we're all about <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I have a meditation station and my my um, Come on, thought please, lamp, and yes yeah, so I have the whole vibe going on in just and just ways in this how I kind of like use my environment to really just like keep me um, at peace um, calm my emotions, so that's mm. that's what I found that works for me. Yeah.
3: That's good like I'm that. of the type that I don't know why, but I tend to hang out in my head a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, which is probably not the most healthy thing to do. And like Sarah also, I also feel a bit um, like thought of second or third um, with people. And so I think that's maybe why I hang out in my head more um, than going to other people And then when I get in so far, I'm just like, okay, I'm processing this by myself. And then if I can go sit down at the piano and have the house to myself with no distractions, no cats hopping up on my lap or the dog, you know, standing right in my face. And I can knock out some Chopin tunes and then I'll kind of work from the dark you know Chopin stuff into some W C or something, and like, and maybe some heavy Mozart or something, and I just kind of, and then I end on like a simple Bach tune or something like that, and that's just like a really good release for me. And it used to be, it's so funny because I used to like just play I, aside from the classical, I would also like do a bunch of worship music and stuff like that, and now. I can't do it because that's Mm -hmm. part of my trauma. Yeah. (laughs) So, but just working through it in a musical way, it has always, always been my go-to thing. So Mm -hmm. since, even since I was little, just music, music, so... I
0: Can I totally yeah. request a Spotify playlist of your 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 trauma recovery? Ooh,
3: class? that's Ooh, that's a thing. good like, yeah. I need that. Yeah, I'm,
0: yeah. I'm beseeching you. in All in right, version.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> He's beseeching.
3: I have deleted podcast, uh, not podcast. Sorry, I have deleted playlists in my Spotify playlist because, and then like you know how at the bottom it'll say recommended songs because you've listened to this <laughs> and I'll like listen to the first one and I'll be like, Oh, hell no. And mm-hmm. so you can click on it that you don't want to hear that again. Absolutely. you know. And there are so many songs and mm-hmm. a lot of them are worship songs. I just can't listen to anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's so funny though, because Just recently, in my email from Spotify, they're like, hey, these artists release new albums and you should get them. And I'm like, no, those are. All worship albums. I'm not listening to that anymore. So.
2: Have you not learned anything?
3: <laughs> <laughs> like, have you not seen what I'm listening to lately? Like, it has nothing to do. With
0: it. Yeah, true. I'm curious. Could you could you could you talk a little more about that, Stacy? I know, like, for some people, it sounds like what she doesn't listen to worship
3: Okay. <laughs> so I don't know how I much I don't remember the... how much I delved into. Yeah. So like I basically left Christianity behind, um, two years you ago, kissed Christianity behind. I, I did. I kissed a goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Christianity Thank you. Sorry. Goodbye. Um, after doing some deconstruction and, you know, I know that people are like, Oh, you can reconstruct back into Christianity and we're praying for you that God shows you the way and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I'm kind of happy where I'm at right now, you know? And mm-hmm. you know, I uh it's been good. It's actually yeah. been really uh-huh. freeing for me because as a Christian, you know, they say, "Oh, you you can only be free if you're a Christian." And <laughs> that was actually the opposite for me because mm-hmm. I was so tied down and obligated, like mm-hmm. Obligated to do certain things. And even at the when I wasn't on staff at different churches or hadn't been on staff yet at different places, there was still this sense of obligation everywhere, Mm -hmm. which is a traumatic thing. (laughs) The sense of, you know, or it just becomes this like, oh my God, again type of thing. And it just was, I don't know. So yeah, it was funny because in, in, from a theological standpoint, uh, the worship music was one, not one of the last things to go, but it definitely like, even as a former worship leader, <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
3: like there was uh, during my deconstruction, like there were times I'm like, Hey, eh, yeah, I can't sing this song anymore. And Say then some more I, about that.
0: Like, what? What is it?
3: Stepped down from worship leading, and then I couldn't even be in the worship service during that time.
0: And was was it just the theology? Was it like memories associated with singing the songs? I'm, i I no, have no. It was definitely too,
3: the though. theology. It was definitely okay. the theology because, uh, you know, singing. And I didn't. I got to a point where I was like, I don't really think that God and Jesus if God even exists, like wants us to worship him in this manner. Like I Mm -hmm. get music is a part of worship and I get that music is a huge part of life and a huge part of my life. But at the same time, I don't think that God really needs us to be worshiping him. Like everybody says, I feel like it's a waste of time. I, it just, you know, we, instead should be serving the community, should be, you know, doing things to improve the community and the people that we're living around.
0: So so our worship might be what we do as a response to God's love rather than the songs we sing or the sermons we preach. Right, yeah. Hmm.
3: Yeah. I'm not saying that it's terrible. (laughs) I don't think, you know, I'm not saying that it you have to do all the way with it. But I don't think our songs necessarily have to be to or about God. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. yeah. secular music is totally fine. Like, I mean, there's some of it that's trash, but <laughs> of course. you know, like, yeah, it doesn't have to, I don't think we, if you're still in a Christian church, I don't think you necessarily have to be singing Christian music.
0: Yeah, I I asked and I and I was and then thank you for like just sharing that because I I lead in a church where it's fine for me. If if I if I decided tomorrow that this Sunday I want to do all secular tunes, there's not a lot of people who would like be upset about it. Um <laughs> Especially because the the way I lead, I I I have a verbal introduction to just about everything. I talk a lot as a worship leader.
3: (laughs) Um, What?
0: No, right? I'm not
3: surprised at all. (laughs) I I am
0: totally like I am a hybrid between Kirk Franklin and who's another good storyteller. Like Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond are like my like my people when it comes
1: to. So it's like a concert every Sunday.
0: Every Sunday, yes. okay, not really, because like I, I don't have range.
2: I'm gonna go of check Kirk out your church.
0: I can sing a little bit more than than. I'm sorry, I don't have the range of Fred Hammond, but I can sing more than Kirk. Sometimes, he just has a really good musical ear. I don't have any musical training, so I'm just out here freaking it out. Anyway, that's a long aside to the fact that uh, when it comes to. To music and worship There's so much that we have Kind of associated with it And I'm in a church Where uh, we have a lot of people Who've been burned by church We, My, my congregation is probably 50% People who had, at some point Had completely given up on church And for them to come to our church Is usually like, okay God This is your last chance Like I kind of like what they said On their website But let me see what they're really about Are they just a rebranded version Of the same stuff that traumatized me in the past right and so they come to our church and because we aren't we don't necessarily look like many traditional churches we don't wear robes we don't use titles a whole lot um we're fully lgbtq inclusive anti-racist like stuff people aren't used to hearing in church they get into it but music is the big sticking point for a lot of us because some music we associate with our old church culture and as a, as a gay person, I find that many LGBTQ Christians have this weird dichotomy. If you grew up in a evangelical, care, like a, a modern kind of contemporary church, then contemporary music is your source of pain when it comes to church mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you grew up in a traditional church, um, then hymns tend to be the place yeah. of pain. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, right now, most of the churches that are very LGBT affirming and inclusive tend to be hymn churches. And so I often mm-hmm. find that when people encounter like me at a conference or me leading worship, that they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know we could redeem some of these Mm -hmm. songs because I'll take a song like, for example, uh, Break Every Chain Um, Mm -hmm. at the Reformation Project. We would pretty much do it every year. We would sing that song for most of us. Break Every Chain was presented to us as you need to break the chains of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. You need to Get delivered. You need God to knock that off of you. And we would literally take that song and be like, no, we're going to break the chains of, of homophobia. We're going to break the chains mm. of a society that's unjust and and doesn't love people. We're going to, like, turn all of this on its head. And I had that experience of, for a couple of years, leading this song as Men who were told that they couldn't serve communion because they were wearing high heels were serving communion in high heels where um, non-binary folks who were told that they're rejecting the image and likeness of God are being affirmed and praying over people and reminding them of God's expansive expression. Like I'm preaching. I'm sorry. I'm going way off into <laughs> a vein, but it it was really powerful for me and i'm not saying this at all like to 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 like tell you or anything like what you need to do more so i'm always really interested in hearing how people encounter music um Mm. because it does so much for us like emotionally and it Mm. it sneaks in and all this other stuff so yeah i
3: just that's interesting uh darren because like i grew up in the ifbc where where, you know, drums and guitars were the devil's instruments. The devil's
0: instruments, yes. And
3: um, then, you know, I, like I said, when I went to college, uh, I went the other way and I went to Pentecostal charismatic stuff and, you know, they're full on bands and then, you know, moved through times and I ended up in an ELCA church, which had a... um, the traditional service with the organ and the grand piano. And then I led the contemporary service and, but I also was the accompanist for the traditional service. Mm -hmm. So then I went back, I left there and then I went to um, another contemporary church. So it was interesting because like, I was always driven to the more, you know, contemporary music the you know modern rock music and stuff because that's what I like but after I left like I really like I miss liturgy I miss Mm -hmm. like there's something about that that when I was at that Lutheran church that especially during the high um seasons like during um Advent and um, Lent season, mm-hmm. um, when we had different styles of mu- different music that we brought out and stuff like that, and and just I, throughout the year, just different times, we had different, you know, like every month or every season or whatever, we changed up certain like I forget what it's called because it's been so long, but like there's a certain thing that they sing, the like calendar,
0: and, yeah, just the you know. liturgical
3: calendar and stuff like that, and I really miss that now and um not that I'll go to a church just to hear it but (laughs) (laughs) but it was I don't know it's just there's a beauty to it and it like sometimes we would sing some of the same songs we sang in my old baptist church but it was done differently and some of the words were different and I remember at first when I encountered that I was like I'm not sure I like this But now that I look back on it and I look at the word changes that were made, I was like, I don't know who made the changes. If it was the Baptist church hymnals that made Mm -hmm. the changes to or the Lutherans. But yes, yes, yeah. And and I really liked, obviously, the Lutheran church (laughs) singing better. You know, there is just something about it. But there is a real I will admit there is a real beauty in liturgy um, when it's done well, I should say. Um, So I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But I can like there's some artists that I can listen to that I find when they do like a liturgical style song, I guess you would say. um, There definitely is healing in that. And I can, you know, just kind of. I don't know. There was I was listening to NPR, which is Minnesota Public Radio. They have a classical station, and I listen to that in the mornings. So don't laugh at me. It's NPR in the morning, and then it's the jazz their jazz station in the afternoons that I listen to.
2: <laughs> no, I love I love NPR. NPR. I love NPR. Like z- no, legitimately love NPR.
3: NPR as in Minnesota. That's, that's why I was radio. laughing. <laughs> no, okay, I, did not. I so laughing. they actually <laughs> have one of the best radio stations ever. Anyway, I was listening this morning, um, and they played, uh, and I forget. The, I'm terrible song names. I'm just. I'll just tell I'm you terrible that right now. All names, but it's like Guinepied or something like that. And it's like da da, da 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 da. But it's much slower than that. And I was like, this is like very nice. Like I needed that this morning mm-hmm. because of just. I don't know. There's just certain songs that, you know, you can just turn on and they just, like, all right, yeah. all is well.
2: <laughs> That's what's up. See, it's, so it's funny, I think, that you guys are, y'all are talking about this because I've had the opposite reaction to music. Mm. Um, I I led worship and my, in my youth group growing up. I was, like, the guy and we we started playing at at other churches, and then we started playing at like clubs. Playing our like, we played Jesus Freak and Switchfoot, <laughs> and at clubs, we were we were the cool Christians. Yeah, okay, we we're, we're, were cool <laughs> Christians. We were the real cool Christians. Yeah. Um. And then my my very first experience in any sort of paid capacity in the church world was leading worship. I was leading uh, worship for the the. Spanish service at my church. And because kind of because of that, and because of the way that we built that from scratch, and we built the youth band from scratch. And so kind of because of those two things, other churches started calling me saying, Hey, come, come help us figure out how to build a youth band from scratch, come help us figure out how to uh, staff a Spanish service, like I still have calls like that on a monthly basis where people call me up and say, hey, help us figure this out. And so the last church that I went to, uh, the church out in California, that's what they hired me for was I, I was the worship and media pastor is what they hired me for. And pretty quickly, I also took on uh, youth and young adults. And suddenly I was the the Swiss Army knife pastor where I was doing everything and anything that other people didn't want to do. But the pastor of that church made it very, very clear that he didn't like the way my voice sounded. He didn't like the way I played guitar. He didn't like the way that uh, I played piano. Uh, Like he literally did not like anything that I did. And I've got a minor in music. So in musical performance. And so coming from that to suddenly this... Uh, very demanding very abusive guy who was every single Sunday that I led worship I'd get off stage and I'd say hey how did I do I'm an enneagram three I crave and desire the the acceptance Mm. not from every single person that I meet but from key people in my life and he was a very key person in my life and so every single Sunday that I led worship which that was a complicated relationship also because we had like a part-time guy who was actually leading worship and I was just doing all the plan. It was this whole thing. So anyway, I would get off stage and church would be over and I'd go up to him and say, Hey, how did how did this week go? Like, like what did you think? And he would almost every single time. I, I can think of one time he didn't say this, but every single time that I led, he would say, Well, you still need vocal training. And I don't believe that you have a minor in music. And then walk out.
4: Mm.
2: And that was it. And I dealt with that for two years, at least once a month. Uh, Yeah, at the lowest point it was, I was only leading once a month. And then towards the end, I was leading three out of four weeks. Um, And otherwise doing all the planning and everything. I mean, the last time that I picked up my viola, which is what I grew up playing. That is what led me to love music. That is what led me to say, when I got into college, I wanted, I majored in in music. I wanted to be in the New York Philharmonic because of how much I love to play viola. And just the way that college worked out, I've talked about this before, the way college worked out, um, I ended up just minoring in music performance. And the last time that I picked up my viola was uh, two weeks before Christmas, 2018. And the reason for that was because I played it a couple times during service and he had liked it enough that he kept, he started to push me to play more. He started to push me to, to incorporate it more into the services. And so finally one week without, because I thought it was going to be a good surprise for him, um, because again, this is this is my boss. He's my pastor. He's my mentor. Like I'm trying to impress this person, and so without saying anything to him, um, I planned out a couple of songs. I wrote out accompaniments to two different songs, and again, without telling him, I just turned around in the middle of service one day. I picked it up. I, I introduced the next song, um, Darren. I'm a lot like you, I think, in leading worship styles where I, I introduce every single song and I, I hype people up for it, um, give some sort of word or something. And so that's what I was doing. And I look down and I've got my viola in one hand, my bow in the other. And I look down and he's sitting right on the front row and he's giving me one of the angriest looks I'd ever seen from him. Oh, wow. One of those things where I could see the hatred in his eyes. Mm. And I just pushed it out of my mind. I played through the songs. And after the service, I knew what he was going to say. He didn't say anything, which was even scarier, like he purposefully avoided me. And he would usually take Mondays off. And late that night, late that Sunday night, he texted me and said, I want to see you in my office at 6am. And I'm like, okay, we're, Mm. we're gonna do something. Okay, fantastic. And he told me, don't you ever do that to me again. I'm like, what are you talking about? Not. Yeah, every, everything everything was a direct attack on him. Everything was a direct Why, attack on him. That's not narcissistic at all. Not at <laughs> all. He's not at that church anymore. And, and I said, what, what are you talking about? And he said, when I told you that I wanted to play more, I meant I wanted you to play more for your family because I thought that that'd be nice for them. I wanted you to play more and show your boys what you say you can do but Kevin, you're not good. And that broke me. Uh And I hadn't realized it until this last December, until, you know, a month ago, when I pulled out my, it was the end of November, I pulled out my guitar, which I hadn't touched since I left that church. And I pulled out my guitar because... I wanted to play something, um Frank, I think I wanted to play a Taylor Swift song, <laughs> actually, no judgments <laughs> eh, you know, and it was in that that I realized that I hadn't picked up my viola, and so worship music for me is really, really hard, mm-hmm. where I don't want to listen to worship music i can't worship to worship music and it's just recently that I've actually realized that Mm -hmm. it's just really recently that I've come to the realization that oh hey that specifically like what we were talking about at the beginning that specifically is something that I haven't worked through yet Mm. yeah that's something that I need to work past and so the way I've been working past it is I've been sitting down at at one of the pianos at church, just when I have a few minutes, and I'll pull out songs from when I was leading worship in Spanish. I'll pull out those songs, and I'm going back, you know, eight, seven, eight years, (laughs) and playing those old songs that still have a lot of really good memories for me and still have a lot of really good uh, emotions. And I'm working my way through those, Mm -hmm. trying to get back to a point where I can enjoy where, where I can just listen to worship music without having a, a visceral reaction.
4: Yeah, and
2: hopefully through that get back to a point where I can actually play worship music, where I can actually uh, pick up my viola again and not instantly feel uh, mm-hmm. shame or 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 anger or whatever it is. But that's part of that healing process where. I had to figure out, I, I'm having to figure out what's a point that doesn't hurt anymore? Yeah. What's a point that I have worked past? And how do I work up from there? How do I build up from there? Mm-hmm.
0: And for context, if you don't mind, how long ago, two things, how long ago was it that your pastor said uh, said those horrible words to you? Um, and could you talk more about singing in Spanish? I'm, I'm curious if it... If it's not only like the time, but is it like, are there other things that are maybe attached to not being in the same part of your brain even? Hmm. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah.
2: I left that church August or early September, 2019. And he was saying stuff like that right up until the very end. Uh, specifically the bit about you know playing viola was Christmas 2018. Yeah. So it's been two years of even of not even realizing that I had that pain to begin with, right? And in this moment, like, does it does you are I? And
0: I'm hoping I'm being sensitive. Like, are you experiencing this as pain right now? Yes. <laughs> yeah.
4: Mm.
2: I'm. I'm shaking right now. I'm. I'm fidgeting with with something in my hands. I'm. I'm holding back tears. Yeah. Because of the pain. Because. The way I see it, I shouldn't have had to go through that. I agree, and by extension, nobody should ever have to go through that.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: That's why I'm in church. That's why uh, I I strive to be in church leadership. That's why I strive to to speak to church leaders because nobody should ever have to go through that. But I know that if I've gone through it, other people have
4: to. Right,
2: mm-hmm. uh, and then you. You also asked about, about leading worship in Spanish. Um, That was actually a really fun time in my life. Uh, My dad was the Spanish pastor at our little, at our, not little, but Southern Baptist Church. He was the third pastor on staff or something. And first they were, uh, they did a Bible study and then they started a worship service. And so whenever they started talking about having a worship service in Spanish, there was nobody else. It was like four families, five families that spoke Spanish in the church. And I was the only one in any of the families that had any sort of musical ability. So you know, picture 17 year old me in high school. And at the time I wanted to go off to New York city for, to study at Juilliard and, uh, I Step up and I say, Hey, I, I'm, I'm I might only be here for six months, but I can help y'all get everything started. <laughs> you know, is <church laughs> like, I'll take anything you give, thanks. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Yep. And we built by the time we left, there were I mean, it started first Sunday, 14 people, uh, me on guitar and my mom singing. And by the time we left that church, there were a hundred people, 120 people four or five years later mm-hmm. in the in the church. Um the worship team was one of the strongest ministries. There were 14 people on the worship team, you know, in a in a church of a hundred. <laughs> I got to try literally anything I wanted to. Yeah. Um if we wanted to do secular music, we we could. If we wanted to do uh songs in English, we could. I remember one week we covered the song "Paradise" by Coldplay. Oh yeah, and Coldplay is like church music light. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it is, yeah. <laughs> it's church music light, yeah. And it was this. It was the exact same thing where I set it up and I said, "Hey, this is what this song's about." And I know half of you aren't gonna understand it, but we've got the lyrics in Spanish behind us. Um, hey, you do lead like me.
0: Go ahead. Yeah,
4: exactly. <laughs>
0: Only I'm singing in English and saying, Yeah, we're gonna sing this part in in, in Swahili. But <laughs> totally you'll
2: be fine. Just think about it like heaven. Just, just keep just keep just keep <laughs> going. Just keep moving. I've done that before too though. Um not Swahili, but anyway, so like yeah, I the 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 elders of that church, the the board of directors is what they were called, because you know, it's a Southern yeah. Baptist church and you can't have women on an elder board or whatever. Wow. Yeah literally yes. We'll process
0: that in a moment. Please wait.
2: Well, we'll we'll mm-hmm. get beyond that. Um but they had so much trust in me and uh, my dad obviously as pastor had so much trust in me that they said Kevin this obviously God is blessing you and God is blessing this ministry and God is God is doing something through you and so we're just going to get out of your way and that was some of the most fun I've had in that was the most fun I've had in worship ministry specifically. Mm-hmm. So despite any, any arguments or any fights I might've had with, with people. Cause I mean, you know, I was there, what, five, five, six years in charge of that ministry. You're going to have fights. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have people that, that cuss you out in the middle of practice and, and walk out and never return. Um, or that might just be me. I don't know. <laughs> but despite all that, that was some of the most fun I've had, and so, going back to that music and saying, "Hey, this song really spoke to me back then. Let's see if it speaks to me now mm. and playing through that and singing through that and coming out on the other side of it in tears, yeah, because I can feel the tangible presence of God in in just to me in the little Sunday school room, like that's powerful to me. Um, mm-hmm. and i th- I think that answers the question that you asked. <laughs> oh, beautifully.
0: I I mean, if I could just take a half a second to really affirm, like I'm I'm glad that you do have something that you can go back to and be reminded of why you why you loved what you did in the first place.
4: Yeah.
0: Um I had I, you know, and I'll save some of my stories for the future, but like there are people who very literally have seen me at my worst and be like, yeah, no, but um God's still using you. And I'm like, no,
4: everything is wrong.
0: <laughs> and they're like, okay, but still, let's go. And not in the, like, I just need you to do something for me way, but in i I'm affirming exactly who you are and reminding you of how much you love who you really are. Um, and so, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that, Kevin. Hmm.
4: Yeah,
2: of course. Thanks for listening I to my rambling.
1: It, I find it so interesting how all of you, um, just in listening to your stories, connected you know music it is such a powerful force, and how it was you know a source of trauma for some of you, but also a source of like redemption and healing. Um I'm always fascinated with how you know our brains just you know attach certain you know remember memories or whatever, whether it's a scent or you know a music, a song, you know how song can just bring you back to a certain time. so I'm always fascinated with how your each of your just stories of trauma and how you kind of grew like just through music because i'm obviously not i i don't have a music bone in my body don't put me up on a no worship team <laughs> <laughs> i will be the one that y'all say you know we just don't think this is your gift
0: <laughs> I would still find a place
2: for you on the team if you wanted hey, to be.
3: if you're a warm body you're welcome on the stage <laughs> but
2: you might be more useful in the booth running slides
1: <laughs> Shh,
4: that's a
2: secret.
3: Right?
1: right? <laughs> no, but like music, like I can remember just in, you know, how I use music to get through just different aspects of my life. And a lot of it was like secular music, but I do remember just, you know, some worship songs being attached to, you know, a specific um just traumatic event that happened in my life. And not being able to listen to certain songs because they Mm -hmm. immediately brought back. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's still a particular song that, you know, is associated with my wedding that I can't listen to because when I do, it brings me straight back. And so, but there's also been songs that have been just so powerful and so healing um, through my journey. So I just, I find it interesting how we've like, as we're processing how we, you know, our whole idea of how, where do we go from here and how we've kind of gone through um, and move forward past our trauma, how each of you have connected music to it. I just, mm-hmm. I find that really interesting and encouraging. So,
4: yeah.
0: And, you know, church, we, we love music collectively as church, like, you know, many, many of our churches could not imagine existing without a strong musical component to it. Um, so yeah. I don't want to let that, uh, as much as I love music and as much as I like a living from music, I don't want to like overwhelm the idea of healing and continuing and redemption being all about music.
4: Absolutely. Um,
0: cause it, you know, I, I've, I've heard so far, we've talked about writing, we've talked about talking with others. We've talked mm-hmm. about, um, just sitting with our stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like sitting there and feeling the feelings and riding that wave, um, I think the church sometimes teaches us not to do that.
4: Mm -hmm. Sometimes
0: we hear people just, well, you got to pray. You got to pray, pray about it and leave it in God's Mm -hmm.
4: hands. Pray Mm -hmm. harder. Read
0: more Bible. Right. Yeah. Definitely read more Bible. I was in a church where you had to read a certain number of chapters. Oh. That's how you, that's how you, how you, how committed <laughs> to your healing you were.
1: <laughs> but have you the... ever wrote your struggles on something and burned it? Ooh, oh, yes. You know, as a, as a uh, representation yes. of My carbon <laughs> footprint
2: is terrible because <laughs> of it. Oh, yeah. You, could, you, burn, you burn something twice a year, once at youth camp, once at yes. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Including your secular music albums. Yes. Oh. I never I microwave had to do that. mine.
0: As we've as we've delved deep into music. We mentioned books for half a second. Are any yeah. books in your histories that were really pivotal for you? Or just really, you know, you like the liked Bible. It? The, the Bible. Yes. <laughs> Praise
2: God. Okay, this this one's gonna sound stupid because the authors denounced it. We talked about it like the very first week, and how dumb it is. There's two books that I've always there's there's too. two books. Hold on, <laughs> yes, yes. There's two books that I always come back to. The first one is Blue Like Jazz. Mm. Uh, I can't really remember who that's by. Really? Yeah i I read that one at like fifteen. I still love that book, and then like, also there's a problem with Blue Like Jazz. I don't know. I, no, no, no
3: that's actually that's a pretty that's a really good book. book. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. that's a
2: good book. No, but you asked you asked books that yeah, books that impacted been- us books of yeah.
3: feelings yeah,
2: and it was that one, and then um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, <laughs> specifically because at the time I read all those things and I and I really identified with everything that that Harris was saying in those in that book. Um, and I was like, yes, this is this is the picture, the 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 the, the thing that I want to be as a Christian man. Yes. Yes. And then a few years after totally buying into this book, him coming out saying, hey, I, I totally screwed up after the point that I had started realizing that, hey, maybe some of these things aren't uh, healthy. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. some of these things aren't aren't uh, are are toxic and then him coming out and saying yeah some of this stuff is toxic and I shouldn't have never written that book that helped me get through a lot of the dating mistakes and everything that that I felt really bad for that I think Mm -hmm. could have turned out as trauma that didn't nice interesting Plus, songs of Solomon wow
0: I'm just gonna put a I pin. I really in.
3: oh Go sorry. There. Go
0: for it, Stacey. We're, we're putting a pin in the Song of Solomon
3: for yeah, February. And right now yeah. it's your turn. <laughs> I really resonated with Searching for Sunday by rest in peace. Mm. Rachel Held Evans. Yes. Um that book was I could have written half of it at least. Um based on what she went through her story and, uh, just her deconstruction that she went through and she actually ended up reconstructing, um, Mm -hmm. which I didn't get to, (laughs) I, you know, at the end of her book, she basically, they still remained in church, her and her husband. And I, but it was so like, I listened to it on Audible, which is like the way to go when you're reading somebody's like memoir type of book, I feel mm-hmm. like. And it was like she was standing in the kitchen with me because I, I listened to the Audible books when like I'm cleaning or cooking or something like that and no one else is around. And it really that book was a sense of healing for me and the fact that I wasn't alone, like she had been there too going through the same kind of shit that i had been through and it was just really it was good to know that other people have walked this before and that yeah. i'm going to get through it so that to me was an incredible book just yeah searching for sunday rachel held ovens good book that's a good yep.
1: book i'm actually like i'm not the best reader um i'm attempting to get into it more, but I, I would say, and this is not a church related book at all. However, I, I I feel like it's a really great book for um, anyone that, you know, is, you know, in any type of abusive relationship, but there's a, there's a guy called Lundy Bancroft and this book was called, should I stay or should I go? And so, and the, it's a guide to knowing if your relationship can and should be saved. And so the reason this book was really impactful for me during um, one of my most traumatic experiences was because I was holding so tightly to the belief that I was not allowed to get divorced Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, it it, it just I was terrified to get divorced. Um, And I was searching, you know, even if I had like some solid evidence that like it wasn't healthy To remain married, I was terrified of the idea of, you know, well, Christians aren't supposed to get divorced, you know, the God hates divorce, all these little taglines that we tell people. And so this book was probably one of the only books. He has another one um, that um, is is gendered, but it's why does he do that? Um, And it really does talk about, um, you know, getting into the mind. This is someone, the author is someone that has worked. Um, with people who are abusive in um, a program a program for that some states have that they put people through who have been um, abusive. and yeah. so it's just his experience and you know understanding the mindset of you know what's abusive, what's not abusive, manipulation, and all that different type of stuff. So through these two books, but specifically the should I say or should I go was really impactful with just really getting me to see. Um, you know, this, this is, this is the decision that I need to make. And so that's, that's, I would say what really yeah. got me the only book I was able to read during that time because yeah. my brain could not handle reading anything. <laughs> else.
4: I feel
0: you. How do how did you come across those? I know, uh, that was probably a very, or continues to be a very difficult kind of thing. How did you, how did you luck up on those resources?
1: So... Um, these were some books that through, um, some support groups that I joined as I was just online support groups, as I was just really trying to understand what I was going through and experiencing, um, it was just books that were recommended. And so I just, I ordered them and decided to give them a try. And so I, you know, that's how I came across them. And then I will say too, um, in, in some of the advocacy work that I've done, like on the professional side, you know, we use some aspects of these books just in how we help help clients understand, you know, what they were experiencing what they were going through. Because, you know, there's a lots of different books out there in terms of like, you know, recovering from different situations from abuse. So it's hard to, especially when you're, you know, coming out of it to figure out where to go. And these books mm-hmm. may not be for everybody, yeah. but um they I just, they resonated with me and they were easy to read and it was just, you know, really kind of helped me get clarity on what I needed to do.
0: That's awesome. That's um, good. I, um, like I have a billion books, but like if I were to keep it short and this is actually more recent for me, uh, Brene Brown and the book yes. Daring greatly, um, you know when a book makes you like stop the cuz i i I'm, I'm team audiobook as well. I'm not <laughs> good at like I can read through things but i i'm going to get through it more efficiently if yep. i can listen to it or if i can listen to it while i read it. Um but yeah, Dar- Darren greatly, i was on a road trip with uh one of my bandmates and it was just he and i in the car and um And it was talking about like the way that one of her friends would always make plans and then end up being late and then like have these really deep stories about why she was late. And then there'd be this whole thing. Um, And then she like end up withdrawing. And as somebody who is chronically late um, for various reasons, um, she started unpacking like what's happening in the shame Mm. and the guilt that happens in that moment and as soon as she got to that shame and guilt, I was like, oh, God, here we go. So I had to pause it <laughs> and I had to talk to my bandmate and be like, so actually in my head, I think that you don't really like me and that I'm the weakest link in the band and that like you're always just tolerating me. And so I was like, oh, and he like really like took that moment to pause and one affirm me, but also to like share with me how as an artist, we can be really creative at, at creating like bad narratives in our head. And because we're so good at creating stuff, we just run with it like it's the truth. And Everything he was affirming in me was the opposite, that he really is so glad that I'm in the band and that I bring these Mm. specific and unique gifts and talents. and, And that, like he said, he literally prayed for someone like me to be in the band and that I was an answer to prayer. None of that is in my head when I'm showing up late to band practice. None of that's in my head when I oversleep and miss a rehearsal. None of that's in my head. At least it wasn't at the time when I couldn't get a part right or kept forgetting something Thing or we'd have to spend extra time, or something like that. And instead, um, it's like, oh wait, like here's a chance to challenge these thoughts that come from my previous church leaders and important men in my life, mm-hmm. who told me that I wasn't any good and that I was holding up the whole church and that mm. I was the reason that that one of my employers had a uh, had a, a minor heart attack didn't matter that I was just a contractor who, you know, had nothing to do with how many jobs we had or what was happening. I was just a graphic designer. But yeah, it's totally my fault you had a minor heart attack. Sure. So, and the fact that you like left the hospital and came to work. Yeah, totally my fault. Sorry. (laughs) Still processing (laughs) that. So it was one of those things where reading Daring Greatly and hearing this conversation about shame and guilt, and then having intentionally have built Building safe friendships and relationships where I can tell people, "Hey, this is the thing that I struggle with. These are these are the ways that I'm thinking, and I know it's not right, but I need to expose that I'm thinking these things or I'm mm. feeling these things." Um, and and having built the trust in the relationship and and sought out trustworthy people, so that I can unpack this stuff and then begin to just be seen in my mess and be reminded that I'm not as much of a mess as I think Mm. I am. Um, Like that's one of the most healing kinds of things that has happened. And so it's, 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 that's been my story from my former worship pastor who I would meet with every two weeks for probably three, four years and just be like, Hey, when, when you looked this certain way at church, I thought you were mad at me. And he's like, no, you're awesome. I appreciate you. And Mm. And here's what we're going to do next week. Because that was the other thing it was like, and you're about to take away my ability to lead, right? No, nope. I, I, I need you on this song or, or this and that. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't the, oh, I'm going to look past your junk because I need you to to design us a website. Mm-hmm. No, it was, hey, what can I take off your plate so that you can be okay and so that we, you can continue to lead, like
3: <laughs> mm, that's good. that
0: kind of that's good. stuff is so restorative. Yep, and it's a reminder that while you know, to to whom much is given, much is required. Or you know, the the power <laughs> we have as church leaders, mm-hmm. we as as easily as as we can break people and lead them astray and lead them into harm's way, we also have that power to be restorative to people. Um, if we learn from our own mistakes, which I I do a lot of. I led people to an abusive, toxic, cultist church.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's from that same place that I can be like, hey, this church is not going to be that. I am not going to 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 stand for that. When you come in to 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 praise to worship rehearsal and tell me that like you were involved in something very wrong. You know, like not even like mincing words. You did something wrong. I'm not going to like chastise you. I'm going to, as long as you're in a place of like being accountable for what you've done, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to, it's my job to restore you because God still loves you. Like God didn't Mm -hmm. stop, God wasn't surprised because you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. But church folks love to like bring out the, I'm going to be the judgment of God. No. (laughs) <laughs> like, people need to be restored even in 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 some of their low points um because again like if if something's ongoing and 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 harmful yes we intervene because we love you and because we want you to see you restored but um but that's that's the place that i lead from like uh, you're you're triggered by this song got you how can how can we do better? How can you know, how can I cover you? You got a, a chronic illness, got you. How can I make sure that you don't feel like you're singled out when you need to to not do something in the service this week? Like whatever, whatever the thing is that you got hurt by from previous church leaders. I want to be part of your story to restore you the same way church leaders are willing to sit with me every Tuesday in a cafe in downtown Chicago and be like, hey, how's it going? and just talk and be friends, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just be co-laborers in ministry. And, um, like we have so much power that I think we don't always realize in, in our relationships, in the way that we love people.
3: Yeah.
2: So we've, we've kind of gone from, we have gone from talking about personally, what do we do to get past church trauma to overcome it? Uh, and, and Darren, I feel like you're talking about, how churches as a whole overcome church trauma and i hear you saying really two things the first one is real and honest relationship yeah not the not the fake stuff that i think happens so often Uh, not just in churches but everywhere right like with your uh, work friends you only talk about stuff at work and then with your home friends with your neighbors you only talk about stuff you know how tall the lawn is and Mm -hmm. how the HOA sent you a letter last week Um, but real true and honest relationships Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: and then the second thing I hear you say is restoration and all the different ways that that can look Um, all the you know whether it's sitting in a cafe like you said, yeah. you know, owning up for mistakes that we make. Um, am i am I following that that yeah. train correctly? Okay?
0: It's so important in our recovery process that we realize that people are not going to magically be perfect now like this mm. we we can't lean into a process or a place or search for a, a group of people that just will never never hurt us the way we were hurt before i it's a it's a it's a natural expectation but the reality is i want to know who deals with their junk well who messes up and like handles that the right way because mm. if i find another place that's perfect all the time i've probably found another cult but if i find a place where it's just like hey this is how i messed up this is this is What's going on right now? These are the ways that I'm struggling. Can you help me? That I think is the sign of trustworthiness and the sign of health and a place where we can begin to seek healing.
1: I agree. That's good. I wholeheartedly agree. Yep. I think that awareness piece is like it is so crucial because the more you are aware, not only as your your culture as a church, but I think as as leaders, the more self-awareness we have, um, you know it opens up the door for accountability. It opens up the door for vulnerability and trustworthy, and all these you know empathy, all these things that help us to really connect with people, especially especially those each of us who carry trauma and that or you know you interact with to be more understanding of you know how to support somebody in their trauma, how to support someone when they're you know experiencing a trigger, when they're going through a hard time, um, how to celebrate somebody when when they're you know, healing, you know, I think it's, Mm. it's not always negative, but it's Mm. really honoring and celebrating people who have moved past of being able to see that, you know, are you able to see where you're, you know, the people that you're serving, where they were at one point and be able to point that out because I think um, I know speaking for myself, that validation, I have somebody close to me that um, was able to say, you know, I was talking about a situation and they, they just stopped me and they said, wow, I'm really just impressed and just so, you know, happy for where you are now. It it just like just her, this person's reaction. And it, I mean, it gave me chills because I was like, wow, you pay attention. You noticed, you knew where I was and to be able to see my growth and celebrate with me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's golden right there. And that's I think good. that really just, you know, as church leaders not to ignore those pieces, not to, you know, well, we just going to love this, you know, hate the sin and love the sinner. Or however, it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. really <laughs> just do it like doing life with people and really, yeah. truly. Being able to walk with people in whatever journey that they're going through,
0: and I think um, like we're we're kind of in this vein of like what church leaders and church communities can do: having vulnerable leadership, modeling vulnerable leadership, having vulnerable vulnerable leadership. That means if you're in a church culture, you need to explain to people when you're having a bad day, or you need to be able to 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 do that and have a culture where people can be honest about where they are. If people can't be honest about their stuff, then everyone's okay. going to be showing up with a pre- pre- presented face that's not really helpful for having a healthy and safe church. That's another book, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Church.
2: Such a good I book.
0: Think, was um, I, And I don't remember who wrote it, but um, um, I remember learning a lot from the structural ways that churches um, can be harmful or helpful. Um, Another thing that my church is doing right now, like we're, we're adapting this attitude of fail often and celebrate your learnings. Um, We need to be trying new ways of, of engaging our our community, especially, you know, in the midst of COVID-19. A lot of the, the Things that we did normally and the things we knew suddenly changed, and they won't magically go back to the way they were. And so, we have to have a place where you can say, Oh, I'm really excited about this. I've got energy about this. I want to try it. And then, when you try it, and like three people show up to it, you can be like, So, nobody actually wanted to do that, but this is what I learned. (laughs) (laughs) And that that be okay, that that not be where where you're, that not be your exit interview from church, right? That not be. Be the yeah. end of your job or the You're end of your ministry, fail. right? right. Um, and to make room for lament, like yes, I sing in a band and our specialty <laughs> is lament. Hashtag <laughs> the many are here, um, but also the the reality that churches and. And and I don't know, I might be projecting, but I'm wondering if this is your experience too, Stacey, where churches have this thing where it's like all victory, all rah, God is our healer and everything is done. And yes, God can be that. But also what about people who are like suffering right now? What about Mm -hmm. people who are doubting right now? What about people who are giving up like Mm -hmm. If your church doesn't have space for those people to be open and honest, why yeah. should they come to your church?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, and then the last thing that I was thinking about, ask for help and pay for support.
4: Mm.
0: I'll say it again. Ask for help and pay for support. Mm.
4: No, so often
0: churches at? are like, oh, well, we don't have money for this or we don't have money for that. And I'm starting to wonder if we're, we're literally saying we don't have we don't have money to, to be healthy.
4: Yeah. We'll just get Absolutely. whatever
0: we can get. We'll just watch a YouTube video or we'll yep. just find something. It's like, no, like if we say that we're if we're going to have insurance, if we're going to have like staff payrolls of somewhere in your budget, you need to have some money set aside for how you're going to get support. Um, I usually hold churches accountable to the idea that if you really care about racial justice, then you need to have a racial justice line item in your budget. Mm. And if you don't have Mm. a racial justice line item in your budget, I bet you're not actually doing racial justice. You just have good intentions. And so in the same way, that means that you have to... if if your church is 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 not living into its goals um and the people at the bottom not the leaders who wrote the division plan but if the average person who walks into your church or looks at your website doesn't see that lived out you need to pay somebody to help you figure it out okay. you need to invest in that okay. and we need to be okay with the fact that we don't know
2: everything because mm-hmm.
0: yeah. guess what we're not omniscient
2: yeah. there's no there's <laughs> right. no shame in that there's no yeah. shame in in paying for help. There's no shame in bringing in a coach or a consultant or, God forbid, going to see a therapist. Hello. That, mm-hmm. that makes us stronger. We're not, you just said it, we're not omniscient. We're not meant to know everything. Yeah. And so where the, the areas where I'm an expert in, maybe you're not an expert in and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so I need to be able, as a church, I need to be able and willing to go to you whenever something happens that I'm not an expert in. Right? right. But in order to do that, I need to show that I'm willing before it actually happens.
1: To echo that a little bit. Cause you, I mean, I'm sure you guys know just coming from like the community advocacy side, um, where I've spent majority of my career. I, you know, if you, the way I look at churches is like, churches should not be operating in silos. And if you're a part of a larger community, you know, wherever your church is, I always want to ask like churches, you know, do you, can you name like five community agencies surrounding your church within, you know, whatever radius of your church that are serving, you know, the people that are in that community where you are? Mm-hmm. Do you, you Can you name those? Yep. Eight? And if you can't, that's a problem. Yep. You know, build relationships. Sometimes yep. it's not, you know, in addition to, You know, paying for support, connect with agencies because a lot of times agencies have budget line for certain things. They have grants for certain things, but maybe they need the volunteers. Maybe they need to access to the people. Maybe they need the space. You know, figure out within your community other agencies what it is they need. Get on those committees. We call them coalitions sometimes. Um, Depending on what issue you're you're working on or that your, you know, your church is passionate. Usually churches have specific, you know, maybe missions that they're working on, find other agencies that are about that same thing and connect with them. Be stronger as a community. Don't try to do everything on your own. And that's just something that I, I just I see it a lot and just coming from the community side, trying to get access to the churches and the church. Mm-hmm. No, we do that on our own. We have our own program and, you know, it's, we just got to break the silos as a community mm-hmm. and we have to really build together because we're serving the same people. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's got to stop. We, we can really have more impact yep. together.
2: And we would be able to, um, to avoid a lot of church trauma if we did that we would be able to avoid a lot of the hurt and pain and frankly, abuse that happens in churches. If churches actually did Sarah, what you're saying partnered with community agencies, they're, they're there for a reason right. and they're doing it yep. better than you are. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Serving the people that are walking in your church potentially. So yeah, you might right. partner with them. Yep. Yeah.
2: And it's, it's okay.
0: To realize that that things are beyond your capacity at the moment, like right. you know, sometimes we're like, oh well, we just don't have money for that. That's fine, yep. but money cash isn't the only way to to make things happen. Like mm. if you if you are funneling people into a volunteer program, if you are having um, folks contact their their lawmakers um, to lobby for for mm-hmm. the rights of women. Who, you know, like right now, black women are, are super likely to die in childbirth, and that's right. because of social yep. conditions. I think that's something the church could lobby lobby about without it being "quote unquote" partisan or a violation right. of the separation of church and state. Like, there's mm-hmm. stuff we can do that it isn't always about having enough money to do it.
2: We could even call that a pro life initiative and just get every church in on it. But uh, somebody preached that sermon.
1: But if you're not spending time in your community and with other agencies to know what the needs are, what the biggest issues are of the community, then you're not you're going to just be, right. well, let's start this program because this is what you think the community needs. There's a difference between mm-hmm. what you think your church and your community needs versus what the actual needs are. Right. And so get out there in the community, talk to other leaders you know, find out who the key stakeholders are in the community and really make impact.
0: Well, this is this is really, um, really been a great conversation. I'm appreciative of all of you um, bringing your whole selves, bringing your hurt, you know, bringing these kind of uncomfortable things, bringing your in process, unfinished, still working on it, no intentions of fixing it, even stuff to the table. Um, because I think that when we are you know, again, a a Renee Brown quote, when we are vulnerable, we give permission for others to be vulnerable. Um, And for me, I think that's one of my hopes in having this podcast, that we would create space where church leaders who often kind of work in silos and isolated and so forth, Mm -hmm. that we get to see how each other think and, and hear some other insights. And hopefully um, make our church communities and, and our lives better as a result so um, I again just want to thank all of you for what you bring to these conversations and um, thank you to all the listeners who um, tune in and laugh with us and cry maybe with us and um, just go along for this wild mostly unplanned ride um, and I want to say you know like if uh, if there are resources that were really standing out to you we definitely will have links in the show notes Um Um, our email address will be there as well. We'd love to hear back from you of what you're finding useful or what uh, constructive feedback you have. Constructive feedback only. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I'm setting a hard boundary, but um, amen. Amen. But yeah, this is, this is something that's ongoing and and evolving and growing, hopefully like we all are and hopefully like your church is. So uh, we, uh, we want to hear back from you. So definitely let us know what your thoughts are and, uh, tune in next week for another episode with uh with us four and uh, we'll see you then peace you
3: been call for that mystery you can name I just downloaded the app today what? <laughs> only so that my daughter could my my 12 year old could make their Girl Scout cookie. That's, <laughs> that's
0: fancy. So,
3: yeah. It's on Facebook stories and on TikTok.
0: So, ooh, ooh, wow. So,
3: if you need Girl Scout cookies, Type I'm your well. dealer.